All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Journey to a River. This is episode 73, and my name is Daniel. And I'm Ivan. What's crack a lacking, my friend? <laughs> I've got the conversation last week where you're like, oh, you got to you keep, do, keep doing that. You have to keep doing it now. So now, now I'm conscious of like rolling into the uh, into the into conversation. The that. <laughs> uh, what's crack a lacking? The intro. <laughs> my name's Ivan. And I'm a scientist by day and a writer by night. And I'm Daniel. I'm a neuromuscular therapist and I run my own practice. And you're listening to the weekly podcast, Journey to Wherever. Enjoy the show. <laughs> What's there's going some, on, There's man? some serious mood going on in this room today. Well, I've, like, got, I've got the new plant in there. Well, yeah. Um, got the ambiance light, the lighting. The ambiance. There's nothing like ambiance. I have to set the ambiance all the time. It's, it's, Are you it's an ambiance the, man? Yeah. Yeah. I have a lamp running next to my desk. I don't day. know how people in operate the full light. Like I'd be the terrible, I'd be terrible corporate worker. Like you know, how you walk into a typical corporate just setting and it's just well like one thousand fluorescent lights. Yeah, I'd probably need to like put I don't know a dome over me and little <laughs> a little salt lamp or something. I, I've got the I've got the light to my office area on during the day. Yeah, but then I have a lamp next to me as well. Yeah, just to set that on. Just to else. kind of bring it down. Just it's funny when you put like a lamp on in a brightly lit room, it almost feels like it dulls it a little bit. Dulls the, like it, like, not dulls it, like it kind of... It does. At, it does. I'm glad it, you're it on the same wavelength. Yeah. You know, but you know what I mean? It's, like, it's almost like it makes the lighter light yeah, yeah. unlighted. It does. I, anyways, It's like that. putting cucumber in water. It makes it wetter. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> it's true though I know but it just sounds dumb <laughs> It makes it wetter It does man I'm telling you listeners out there If you have not put cucumber we'll put cucumber, yeah. cucumber and mint But if you put cucumber alone in your water yeah. It makes your water wetter Put cucumber On like on a summer's day Like first thing in the morning Kind of like get a big jug of water I put Ice cold water Ice cold water So put cucumbers. mint Cucumber Passion fruit Passion fruit. Yeah. And cucumber. And oh, and, and obviously either lemon or lime, depending on what you've got. To That's get cool. that zest going. I'll give it a try. And you put the cucumber to make the water wetter, of course. Exactly. So, what's like been happening in your week, man? milk in your milk too. It makes it creamier. <laughs> um, moving on. <laughs> Just want to give a, uh, before we start the show, give some, I wouldn't say, what's the correct word? I can't say um, this episode is sponsored by, um, <laughs> you know, this episode is supported by Metronome because um, it is. And I want to give a Greatly shout out. supported by Metronome. It's definitely supported by Metronome. And I want to give a quick shout out to the uh, the team over at Metronome. They they certainly support our podcast with a uh, with landing page features as well as various un- other analytics and uh, the ability to share our podcast across um, you know any social media or any any link or anything like that with a with a real convenient landing pl- page and in. Uh, inbuilt player and it also gives everyone the opportunity to to uh, click on the podcast show uh, depending on what platform they want to listen to so the folks over there uh, certainly uh, support us here uh, at journey to wherever and i want to give them a quick shout out because um you know we, we've kind of been with them since the start of their conception they've uh, you know been uh, here early on in ours as well and i think it's a good partnership so for i'd probably say for anyone who is listening to this and is thinking of starting a podcast mm. and following the great footsteps of Journey to Wherever. Join the journey. Um, join the journey of podcasting or if you're a current podcast, because no doubt there'd be some podcasters that listen to our podcast, go and check out Metronome at mtrn.me. That's mtrn.me uh, and give them a, sh- give them a whirl. I yeah, think thanks, a, guys. They're a good, bunch, they're a good like, bunch of people. From the start, 
supporting us. It's uh, massively appreciated. So thank you very much. Indeed. So what's on your mind this week, man? What's going on? What is traveling on my mind? Um, so at the start of the week, I listened to, you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, JRE um, uh, podcast listener. Yeah. And they recently, a couple of days ago, had uh, Francis Ngannou on um, on the show. So, for mm-hmm. those who don't know who Francis... You'll know Francis Ngannou when I, when I ex- explain him to you. But Francis Ngannou is on... He's currently part of the UFC uh, roster as a heavyweight. Okay. And he currently has the... Like, at the moment, he, he possesses the most... Probably the, uh, a highlight reel of the most scariest wildest knockouts you'll see mm-hmm. in um in the UFC. He's yep. like in most famously he's got this like crazy uppercut to um Alistair Overeem, which kind of like, you know, they've made memes of and and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. he's uh he's in about a month's time or probably even less, I think March sixth, he um challenges Steve Miocic for the uh heavyweight title for the, for a second time. But this wasn't a an MMA podcast. That was what I kind of tuned in for. Mm. Um this was more a story about um, uh, Francis Ngannou's refuge from Cameroon and like the journey, essentially. Wow, okay. And I kind of I knew there was a story behind it. He kind of talked about it a little bit, but he actually went into this detailed three-hour podcast about the full, full journey. Yeah. So, to kind of give the listeners a bit of um, context, like essentially the topic today that we're going to explore is the term um, desires or dreams, whichever way you want to. When um, we say explore the topic, I didn't really know that that was the topic. Oh, okay. You didn't? Okay. Well, no, I didn't <laughs> click on. I thought we were going to talk about this guy. Well, we're going to talk about the guy, but it's, okay. It, okay. It, the context is about the term desires. Okay. Because we've got to yeah. be honest here. I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. I'm curious. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know who the guy was until you-, you Do you know who Francis is? Like, is that, no, I don't even know that name. that big, tall, six I, foot something? No, I didn't even know. You text me today and you're like, any ideas for a topic? I'm like, When oh, I show no. you a and picture like, of him, you'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. that dude. He's like, he's- Because you texted me his name and I'm like, all right, sounds like an interesting guy. Let's just run with it. I don't even know what- Yeah. What what it's what, like what what his background? I didn't even know he was an MMA fighter. Yeah, so he's an MMA fighter. Okay. Um, uh, in the again, again in the UFC heavyweight roster, and he, in and he's challenging Stipe for the heavyweight title for a second time in the space of like a couple of years. Yeah. Anyway, so I got to listen to his story, and I was like, similar to when we both watched the uh, Tommy Caldwell um, story on Netflix, it was this constant like wow after wow after wow, mm-hmm. and his English has improved a lot. To a point where it's like it's it's definitely understandable, but there's certain kind of like broken English in there that you can kind of have to, you know, um, you know, in, interpret to a certain degree. Yeah. But he tells his own story really well, and I'm kind of glad he told his story in his own words, even though the English wasn't hundred percent, but it was still quite good. Mm. Um, and it got me really thinking about the term, you know, and the, the word desires, mm. and and to kind of give the the the, the listeners a bit of a brief on. Francis Ngannou. So, he's a, a native to Cameroon. Yeah. And in short, obviously, go and listen to the podcast if you want like more detailed um, of, of his story. But I'm, yeah. I'm going to kind of wrap it, uh, you know, into a small bundle. Um, he essentially, he gets sick of his life in Cameroon and he wants to be a boxer. That's 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 his dream. Mm-hmm. His, his ultimate, for his desire. Right, he talks about it a lot, and he goes on his fourteen-month journey to f- essentially to get to France illegally because you know 
you, you can't get there without, well, you can't afford to get there the, you know, I guess the correct way, so to speak, right? Yeah. So he obviously in in a space of like a month he goes from like Cameroon to Nigeria, Nigeria to 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 Niger, and then Niger to Algeria, and then Algeria to into Morocco. Yeah. In between all those countries, it's it's all about like getting fake passports, fake yeah. IDs, you know, doing like doing everything they possibly can to kind of get across. He finally gets to Morocco, and but sorry, before he gets to Morocco, he 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 got, he gets on this bus. And this bus goes all the way through the Sahara, literally through the Sahara Desert. Yeah. It's like this small bus, but there's like 25 people on it. So, Does whoever's like the- family traveling with him or is he by himself? By himself. Okay, wow. So, he fled by himself. Yeah. He was just, he's had it, fled by himself. How old is this guy? Francis at the time, he would have been mid-20s. Okay. So, like 25, 26 or something like that, okay. right? So, he then describes being on this 24-hour straight journey on the bus through the Sahara Desert and this car is going like 200 clicks an hour. It is not stopping. If you are too big for the bus, you hang on the outside. Oh, wow. For 24 hours straight. Yeah. And he explains about how holding onto a handlebar and getting muscle cramps and wanting to adhere to his muscle cramp. But he knows if he goes down, he might slip. It's and, and it's all and they don't stop like if you fall off it's like too bad so it's, in other words it's if you land in the Sahara Desert by yourself you're dead yeah. in other words so eventually he gets to Morocco and then there's this consistent attempts I think there was like seven attempts with what they call a boat but in other words I think it's just like a, a, a makeshift life raft that they've got to try and get through the Moroccan military to try and get into Spanish um, waters so mm-hmm. they can get rescued by the Red Cross. That's the that's the goal. But in this essentially twelve month journey, he goes through this constant battle of getting caught by the Moroccan police, yeah. uh, uh, military. Sorry, um, when they get caught, they get beat up big time. They get thrown in a bus. They get driven all the way down to the south of Morocco on the border of Algeria. Get dumped on the desert, and they start the journey again. Wow, and again. And again, and he does this thing like... And he's, so he did it multiple times. Multiple times. Wow. Try to climb barbed wire fences, getting cut open, living in the Moroccan forest, eating food scraps, competing for, competing for food scraps with rats. Like the craziest of craziest of stories. And I'm, I'm constantly, as he's speaking, I'm like, wow, like, whoa, whoa. Like every second, everything he's saying is like nuts. You know what I mean? And... um. And yeah, it's essentially a group of guys that kind of get to get their money together. They work, they get their money together, they buy a, a, a life raft or a boat, what is it, what, as they call it, attempt this thing, get caught, military grab this boat, throw it on the bin, start the cycle again and again and again and again. Over time, he explains that a few of these, few of these guys that go on the journey with him, Moroccan military get a little bit kind of heavy-handed, beat a few guys up too bad to a point where they essentially kill him, right? Mm-hmm. And... It just eventually, so it does have a happy ending. He eventually, eventually gets to, you know, escaping through um, the Moroccan military, gets to Spanish waters and they get like, they pre-purchase a cell phone with a, with a Spanish SIM card so they can call the Red Cross mm. from, that's in, based in Spain. And all the Red Cross is there to do, they're not there to be like, oh, are you supposed to be here or not? They're just supposed to rescue you, rescue you and bring you back to their main base, which for them is... Spain. So, their ticket is wanting to go to Europe. Yeah. And um, so, they eventually get there and 
you know, he they, they made it and then they've got a, essentially another six months worth of journey of going through, trying to go through the police and immigration and all this crazy stuff, right? I don't want to butcher the story too much. So I say if everyone wants to listen to it, it's like, I think it's JRE MMA episode 99. I no, think I'm going to take a listen. It sounds fascinating. And look, you've got to be patient with listening to the show because it probably could be told in, in an hour, but because with his English, it's a little bit slow, but you get a real context of yeah, how yeah, sure. he explains it. Yeah. And um, it really adds more to him now because everybody sees this guy on TV and he's like, he's this feared striker. Do you know what I mean? Like, but when you listen to his story, I'm sure there's thousands of examples of refuge that people could, you know, make a movie of essentially. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure he's no special, more special than any others. But it kind of really got me thinking. It's like, you know, um, it, it's like his ultimate desire, regardless of the outcome, was to leave Cameroon. Yeah. That's what he wanted to do. Okay. And to a certain degree, I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to shit on his journey or anything like that, but it kind of really got me thinking about, like, the desires of, or oh, sorry, not the desire, the the the, the connotations about desires mm. and fulfilling one's dream. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I remember, uh, you know, probably a few years ago now, and when I dabbled in uh, behavioral sciences, and one of the main one of the main topics was um, we we're talking about the the behaviors that surround fulfilling a desire. It's mm. generally met with a certain level of um, the complexity of you know it being forbidden. It's generally a negative thing. What's if a you chase think of, desire? Hey, is into chase desire? Yes, it's 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 deemed that way. It's not it's not that it's bad. According to what standards? It's just, just according to the, the, these textbooks. You know okay. what I mean, like psychologists and stuff. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it's just more. It's 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 almost it's selfish in in a sense is what they're trying to say. Okay. Again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I, I'm kind of thinking. It really got me thinking about like this. When he finished his story, it got me thinking about the very start of his journey. How he only told his little sister that he was going to do this because he saved his money, and he left a portion of. Oh, of it with her so that every time he needed money, he was going to call her and say, look, I'm running out of money. Can you wire me some money? Because you're not supposed to keep your money on you, all of it, because you essentially will get robbed and then he's stuck in a country with no yeah. money. But I kind of thought it's a dangerous thing, desires, fulfilling it, because it can be tunnel vision. And I want to kind of get your opinion on this. Um, it can be tunnel vision. And I understand in that context you know especially being in a country in, like in a continent like africa where you know there's not too much opportunity here was he escaping cameroon yeah like was he escaping um no like he wasn't unrest he, and unease? no 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 or he just had a vision to want to do to be a boxer to be a boxer and do better than what he was in his country that's correct okay yeah so he wasn't a he wasn't trying to be a refugee as such no he no well in a sense yes but he wanted to... He, yeah, in the true sense of the word, I guess, of escaping uh, turmoil and unrest in a country he just facing saw, persecution. He just saw kind of this stuff. kind of repetitive like thing. Like he, he essentially got to a point in his life at 25 or 26 that he's he know he knows what his next 50, 60 years are going to be like. And it just kind of hit him and he's like, oh, I've got to change this, you know? Yeah. And, I, and to, a, to a certain degree, I felt really bad for his family because I'm like, imagine just waking up one day as a parent because I, 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 this is how I personally think, right? Like, I'm not an analytical thinker per se, mm. but I try to kind of try. I try my best to see what my actions, how they are going to impact others. 
regardless of why why I'm doing why I'm doing it for, right? Yeah, when you make decisions. How I make decisions. Yeah. This is how personally I make decisions. Yeah. I like, okay, this is what it is for me. Now what is this gonna mean for everybody else? Like what's the ripple effect, right? And to his degree, it's like his mum wakes up one day and he and her son's gone. Right? Mm-hmm. Just gone. Just vanished. Where's where's he gone? He's just vanished. He's gone. He's gone up north to from essentially because Cameroon's like Central Africa. Mm-hmm. He's going straight to Morocco, which is the northern part of Africa. And it's essentially like, you know, a five mile border between that and, and Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and he's gone. And I'm kind of thinking that poor mum. She must feel like, in a sense, like she's failed him. Mm. But at the same time, I'm sure his story, like, is of the very few that succeed. Like, imagine finding out your son's gone and then maybe 12 months later, I don't know how they would, but let's just hypothetically say they end up finding his body somewhere. You know what I mean? Mm. And I kind of think... I understand to a certain degree you got to do what you got to do, but it's like desires chasing a desire can be um, selfish in a sense. Yeah, and I'm glad it really worked out for him, but I'm sure there's tens of thousands that probably don't even make it to Morocco, probably fall off the bus in the Sahara Desert. And do you know perish. what I mean? Yeah, and um, and I just yeah, I just wanted to just kind of have an open discussion in terms of. The, yeah, the terms is, and I know that's the most extreme example, you know what I mean? Like, that's like, that's probably the easiest way to chase a desire is being in a situation like Francis's. But then there's also things like um, being in the situations that we're in and these countries where it's easy to kind of chase a desire because we've, we've got more options. But it's like, our desire is more dangerous than what we make it out to be, is essentially what I'm, you know, is there more risk to desires? Then, then there's then the perception of it. Okay, so let me so let me just make sure I get your your, your question right. So, yeah. are you saying, are you saying should we chase desires knowing if there's that level of risk, or is there risk? Is there an ele- inherent element of risk already built into desire anyway? There is. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, I, well, that's what I think personally. Okay. And I'm not saying you shouldn't chase your desires and whatnot, but it's like, do people go through the deep thought process of how this may impact others regardless of what it is that you're trying to achieve? Mm. There's a kind of a, a, sen- a sense of um, selfness that you have to implore to make sure that... Well, you, may, you don't have to make sure really, but if you do care about the people that you're leaving, for example, mm. or the decision that you're making may impact others, mm. should there be more thought process of it? Because I feel like in today's society, um, in a good way, it, you, you're encouraged to chase the dream. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a big cultural thing. Now. It's, a, it's a massive cultural yeah. thing. It's There's way more movement in it. It's like, stuff what you're doing now, chase the dream. And I... And I personally, I, I like the idea of it. I don't, yeah. I don't dislike it. It's just like... Is there is it that much push to chasing a desire that we're not evaluating risk? Yeah, you said he was twenty two. This guy, right? Uh, he would have been in his mid twenties. Francis okay. now is probably in his early thirties, like yeah. thirty two, thirty three, something like that. Yeah, look, I, I mean, to to start off with, I want to go, back, I want to go actually go and listen to the episode because mm. I'm fascinated by. It. I think the the story you've told is kind of. Uh, inspired me to want to hear the hear him tell the story in his words, you know, 
in his description and feel the emotions that he's telling it. I think it sounds like it's going to be a powerful story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, this kind of, to, to an extent, plays a little bit off the back of, and you mentioned him before, Tommy Caldwell's story of climbing um, Yosemite. Yosemite, you know, El Capitan and Yosemite. You know, ha- having to having to climb something or journey across a land or leave your family behind, you would have to be pretty compelled by something to want to do that. Mm. Either because you're running from something or you're pulled towards something. Yeah. And that's why I said asked the question before, were they were they facing like persecution? Was it a was he well, was for, it a, for a, a, Francis's um story, he, no. He was he was purely chasing a dream. Okay. So I mean, because if you if you if you're trying to leave a country where you know you're at risk of, you know, your life's basically at risk or your family's at risk, I can totally understand people's desire to want to leave that that state. Yeah. But and and I, I also respect the courage to do that because oh, there's huge courage. Your your as as much as it's there's a lot of unrest in those situations. Your desire to have better outweighs the risk potentially of staying there even though there's a high enough risk by going and following your dream to your point of risk built into desire Mm -hmm. there's a there's a high enough amount of risk by taking that decision already because you might fail along the way you might run out of money you might be attacked you might the boat might sink you know whatever it is there's just it it, it, the chips were like heavily stacked against him yeah but if the if the pain of not doing that is greater than the pain of sticking sticking around sticking around so if yeah. the pain of, of if the pain of not chasing that desire is greater than the pain of sticking around yeah. you're going to be pulled towards wanting to chase the desire down yes. regard and and regardless the, of the pain's outcome. proportional to the risk but you know regardless of that risk level because that's what you you know you inherently want to do and I mean, I can understand why he did that. Yeah. Based on the story you've said, I. I so look I, for I the record. I understand. Like, I completely with and him. And it's worked out. It's obviously. worked out, hundred yeah. percent. You know. But hindsight's one of those things where you've kind of got a bit of confirmation bias in there. Yeah. Where it's like, well, you can look back and say it was a good decision, but you've got all the data now to look back on and say, well, it was a good decision. Yeah. I got a bit of views on that already, but to, to, in the in the case of this situation, yes, it certainly worked out, but. If he was around twenty-two or in his early twenties, and he didn't have a family to support, no wife, no kids, mm-hmm. and it was just him, I guess the stakes that he's betting is him, and then leaving his family behind. Yeah. But if they weren't at risk of danger, for example, and they were in a position where it was okay to kind of separate that, then I, I can understand the desire, and I I kind of envy it to an extent because it takes such a level of faith. Um, or even just naivety just to chase something naivety. down like that because he when, openly says he had no he's no he goes no he's no idea where he's going yeah he's following the crowd this is what you do to get out of here yeah and he's I, and learning I, along the way essentially and, and, and did did Joe Rogan ask him the question knowing now what you know as far as the journey would you have travelled it again I think I think Joe didn't ask, he no he didn't ask because I'd he, be curious to that question Joe did a really good job of really not talking at all he okay. let him just speak yeah. his mind but it kind of got me thinking like everything that we said is, is is right but at the same time it's like it's almost like he valued 
the fulfillment of the desire more than his life. Which is you kind of got to understand the reason why we chase a desire in the first place is to have a more fulfilled life. But I think that comes back to my point before of do, do you feel, would you feel more, would you feel more empty not having gone after it and tried to take it? Yeah. Rather than live with the, live life asking the question, well, what if? Of course, you never want to live with the what and if. And for someone who really wants something and for those who have achieved anything substantially great, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, just the, the day-to-day things, even though for people who, you know, uh, might be challenged and can't do that. That that in itself is a respectable feat. But I'm talking if you if you've got the basic amount of resources, yeah. But then you go and chase something down, putting all odds with all odds against you, putting everything on the line, yeah. And you go for it. Um, I, I I get impressed by that, and I and I think anybody who has done anything significantly great, yeah, like truly great. The, the common thread is they've all done that. And I don't think true greatness comes without a reasonable level of risk. Yeah. Um, an intense amount of desire, to your point about desire. Yeah. In fact, it's probably one of the biggest driving forces besides fear. Yeah. Um, you know, and wanting to to get whatever your vision is on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, but like putting greatness aside, just fulfilling the desire... Because he, he didn't know... Like, the thing is, he went over there to be a boxer. He wanted to be a boxer. But it just turned out that the gym he ended up ended up, ended up being at in France, in Paris, sorry, one of the trainers were like, look, there's too much politi- politics in boxing. You're going to know someone who knows someone who knows someone. Maybe you should try MMA. And he's like, what's MMA? This is back in, like, 2013. So, not long ago, right? Yeah. This guy's fighting for the heavyweight title in about a month's time in and only seven, eight years ago, he didn't even know what MMA was. Mm. So, it was by, by chance, really. Mm. But if you're just parking greatness aside, he went over there because he at least knew training boxing in Europe was, even if he just trained boxing and like worked in a kitchen cleaning plates, that was a better life. What was that his desire though? Hey. Was that his true his desire? His desire was purely to train boxing. Yeah, but I'm sure he could have trained it where he was already at home. It's not hard opportunity, to put Opportunity though. It's There's exactly. more opportunity that's the, that's in the Europe. thing though. That's yeah. what I, that's why I was giving you my point. Yeah. You can anyone can hang a bag up and punch. Yeah. For, you can do it in your backyard and you can box. Yeah. You can read books, you can watch a video here and there. You either have um, or you, you can you learn don't, about though. it and teach yourself. And yeah. there probably was areas there that they that people could train maybe maybe not, but mm. anybody can pretty much hang a bag up and train it but what do you want out of that what what is what is it going to give you opportunities what opportunity yeah the significance of standing in a ring and being in front of a crowd and have people cheer your name mm-hmm. the the thought of being able to compete and you know do something so primal as fight in the ring and then come out as the winner yeah um and be you know revered for it there's mm-hmm. a there's a lot of motivation towards that desire mm-hmm. and i think you i don't think I don't think desire by itself is enough to drive someone to do something mm-hmm. unless there's a strong amount of motivation. The only time I would probably argue, and I'm, and I'm not a psychologist, but I would think that this is somewhat the case, the only time that desire plays a big enough part to result in an action or determine whether or not someone does takes a certain action would be sexual desire. It's funny you say that, that would drive people to do something probably in and of itself by itself. 
Whereas chasing down a big a big dream or something in life, well, what happens if the it dream- would be linked to something that you would hope you'd get tied to that. So therefore you desire what it is you want and then eventually you desire it so much it creates emotion which creates motion and behavior and then you end up taking action. What happens if the desire that you're chasing is happiness regardless of how it may affect? Well, you just said sexual desire. Let's say like, like, like for example, hypothetically, um, not that I agree with this by any by any means, but you know, a married man or a married woman for that matter um, is just f- for no reason, like not necessarily no reason, but has fallen out of love yeah. with their current partner. Yeah. And and they have that desire to be physical with someone. No, no, not the desire to be physical with someone. They've just fallen in love with someone okay. else. Okay. Fewer, fr- whatever, you play whatever scenario you like in your head, right? Yeah. Their desire now is that person makes them happy. No, because love is a much deeper, heavily ingrained emotion that outweighs desire. What happens if they've fallen out of love with their current partner? You're saying they've gone to, to they love somebody else now though, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they're, therefore they're pulled through love to someone else. Love, in my opinion, is a stronger, a stronger emotion than desire. How so? Because love changes significant parts of humanity in the world. Mm-hmm. Desire can get people into trouble. But can't you desire to love someone? You can desire to love someone. Yeah, but that's that's yearning for someone that's not necessarily in front of you, and you've built up the feeling of love and then when you finally meet the person you're relieved because they're finally there and then you allow yourself to fall in love with that person Mm. you may already love them before you've ever met them because you've desired it so much yeah but you're desiring to want to love somebody okay so i think i think love is a much stronger emotion than desire it's probably one of the strongest ones if not out of all okay um you know, and and I, I wouldn't say you know in the example you're talking about is Francis, right? Yeah, I was just kind of throw, I just threw a bit of a curveball in there. Just relating to kind of, back to the story, though. Yeah, he, I'd be curious. I don't, I don't think he would have. Lo- he might have, he might have loved boxing, but or fighting rather. Yeah. Through the sport of MMA, but it's not until you actually do it. Yeah. And really get into it that you fall in love with it. Yeah. There's a difference between loving something and then falling deep in love well, with something. Well, he explains that even in his... He only participated in his first professional MMA fight because he wanted to get his coaches off his back for pushing him to do MMA. Mm. And then he and then he just obviously, because he's so good at it, he just kept winning and then eventually he's like, oh, shit, well, maybe I should do this. Yeah. So, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, like that's just how, that's how yeah. he ended up doing it. Or it, it could just be a money thing. I mean, it's there's a lot of money that comes oh, out look, of sports I, like this now. When so. you go from when you go from a point living in a Moroccan forest to to you know um, to winning tens of thousands of dollars, I, about I think I think he was happy even just stepping foot in a UFC yeah. cage for him. That he's probably got more got paid more money in one fight than he's had in his whole life, probably yeah. his whole family. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, so I think, kind of reflecting a little bit. Um, Again, I don't want to. I don't want to say that chasing designs. I'm just kind of like in you know true JTW style. I just want to just kind of you know. I like playing that devil's advocate. I like making people think about the term desire. You know, mm. I, I respect everything that he's done. I respect the fact that people chase the dream, chase the desire. Like you got to you got to feel fulfilled and happy. Yeah. But I question whether people are thinking about potential negative repercussions with chasing their own desire 
is it is it necessary? Maybe, maybe there's no maybe there's no necessity in evaluating how others feel about your decision. Mm. Maybe there isn't. Maybe I'm. I looking- think it depends on how risk averse you are. I mean, some people don't think about risk at all. They just go, "Well, I've got not much to lose. I'm just going to go for it." Yeah, but it's not and until that's, that's it's not really until they- level, that's really their risk assessment. I've got not much to lose. Yeah. But what, it, what have I got to lose? I think, even those, I think even those people, when they do, let's just say, A, succeed or B, not succeed, it's not, it's not until they look back and maybe see the, the, the trail of destruction that they've left in order to um, try to succeed in, in, in fulfilling that desire. Hmm. Sometimes it's like, oh, sh- oh, look what I've left in my wake. Like, damn. Well, that's, I think there's, that's a good point. I mean, just to, to start Because you're so off, tunnel vision. Let's yeah, just yeah. hypothetically say yeah. Tommy Caldwell, right? Climbing Yosemite. Loses another finger, for example, and then he's, it's completely not doable anymore. I still think it was worthwhile, though. And um, but I'm just saying, would he go look back and go, "Oh, damn, like, Pro- probably, shit. probably." But that's my point. One desire, I think it's still worthwhile exploring it anyway. Yeah, because you only get one shot. You only get one life. Because mm-hmm. I, I would argue that the the pain of asking the question, "What if?" Yeah, that's horrible. for the rest of your life. That's shit. Is is pretty shit. Yeah. 100%. And I think I think it's worth it's worth almost gambling anything of reasonable risk mm. to to avoid asking that question for the rest of your life. I would I how would you, say how do we even begin to evaluate what is a reasonable risk though? What are the parameters that we that we're using? It depends What's, on the situation. That's this is what I'm saying. It depends on the situation. It, and you get better be, at it as, you, you, as you, the more you. You have a biased way of looking at how you've evaluated risk. Because he didn't tell anyone. He openly said, "If I tell people that I'm like." Like leaving, yeah. He's people are gonna either shut him down, tell him, "Oh, he shouldn't do it," or people are gonna be like, "What are you doing? You're not going anywhere." Like they're they're gonna try and keep him. Mm. So he's like, he kept it on the wraps and then just vanished overnight or whatever, whenever it was, he, he vanished. Mm. You know, so it's like you got to look into that as well. Like he's maybe he evaluated it correctly. Maybe by not saying something, he did the right thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But maybe he ha- maybe by not being so biased, he might have got maybe a better insight in, into maybe other opportunities, mm. you know. If you think about so. a lot more, I mean, because that's quite a unique story, going from, it's, I it's, mean, leaving yeah. a country is, that happens a lot, a lot of people try and do it, but to leave a country, become a world great MMA fighter mm-hmm. and be known in a sport. It's movie-esque. It's, it's, movie, it's a movie style, you know, it's movie-esque, you know, I think you, you said movie-esque, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. If you think about more common examples day to day, you know, the husband and wife, you know, one or both are hardworking in the family. One of them wants to chase down, um, you know, a vision to start their own, I don't know, fish and chip shop or a business or whatever it is. An entrepreneurial pursuit. They've got this desire to always start something of their own. Yeah. And they start it. They take out a small loan. Hypothetically, yeah. Um, start it. The business kind of starts to pick up a little bit in its honeymoon phase. They get a few little bites here and there, make a few sales, whatever. And then the then, real the, then start. the reality kicks in where the money you initially outlaid starts to run out. You still have bills and mouths to feed. You're doing the parts of the business that are probably aren't the most fun bits. Exactly. You see, starting to fall out of love a little bit with some things. Mm-hmm. Things get hard, but then you do still desire to to prove yourself right that this is. The Maybe right what decision. you've always wanted to do, and it was the right decision, and you should have just done it, and you've you've invested yourself already, so you still want to see it through. So you've got the desire to still see the business through. But if you don't 
at this point, if you don't evaluate the risk, you're going to cross a line into well, what 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 are you willing to lose? What are you willing to lose, and what can you lose at this point? That's right. And this comes down to your question before of well, how do you evaluate the risk? Well, it's in a situation like that where you say, well, how do you okay, evaluate the risk unbiasedly? Well, I think that that's a certain personality trait too. Whether you, whether or not you can, so this, that's where it gets step. dangerous. You get some people that just got super tunnel vision. Yes, and but they're not, the ones who become great. And that's that's that's. The, do they always? Well. There's a there's a chance that they do. Not everyone does. It's a small chance, but the ones who finally made it through become great. And and or they, there's been many cases where they have become great. But I think to continuing my point, <clears throat> then they then they're in the business and they're like, oh, you know, I need to get you know a bit of extra money to support the next six months. Oh, I need to draw a mortgage down, or I need yeah. to take out like a brand new credit card or yeah. a new loan, or I'm going to borrow it from someone or whatever it is. And then it's well, how am I going to pay it back? Or if the business really fails, then what are you going to tell your spouse? Yeah. Um, the house is now on the line. How are you going to feed the kids? And then it starts to break down relationships. And there's an element of destruction there. But on the flip side, if you look at the story of Pursuit of Happiness, for example, I'm sure everyone's seen that yeah, movie, movie or read the book, if I'm pretty sure it's a book. Yeah. But I mean, that's a truly, true another truly great story of someone against all odds kept pushing and pushing and pushing to the point where there was probably opportunities to say look do I just do you just stop and and get like a a mediocre job or, or something that will just get you through doesn't matter what it is just find something anything even if it's like minimum wage just so that tonight when you go to sleep you're not sleeping in a toilet cubicle in a train station you're, you're actually You've got a little bit of money where or a mattress of some you might sort. be able to sleep on an actual mattress. Yeah, and he had a, his son with him. Yeah, through that journey in That's pursuit of happiness. Yeah, but a, a, he continued to push over and over and over again, and had this this intense desire to finally make it. Mm. And I mean, if I'm sure most, if not all, people have kind of watch that movie yeah but at the end of it he becomes great in his industry yeah and that that wouldn't have happened unless you kind of to some extent just blindly because you got to put on the blind you got to go blind at it sometimes and just say look this sucks yeah but have faith that you know if my son doesn't eat today i know he's going to be hungry tomorrow by the third day he's going to be losing a little bit of weight but I know in, I know once I make this final sale, I'll, I'll I will be able to say, like I did it for you, and and we did it. Mm. Super amount of cost to that, you know, it could have could have gone for the could have gone for the worst. But again, I think these questions are a lot of confirmation bias because when you've finally got it, it's easy to look back and go, oh, well, that was worth it. But many people don't hear about the stories that fail. And this is not to be pessimistic. Because it's, but that's because there's too many of them. There's a there's that's a lot argument. of failure there's, stories. There's way more. Yeah, which is why there's that stat of you know one in what is it one in five businesses fail in the first year or some some stat right mm-hmm. at least in Australia, which is massive because it's true. Yeah. Um. You know, there's there's I I, I think I I heard a stat and don't quote me on this, but something like fifty percent divorce rates in marriages and stuff happen within the first like two years. Or something yeah. There's like there's just a large proportion of that's a large number. Mm. that end up divorcing in the first year. It's like, well, what, what did you desire going into your marriage? Did you desire 
um, to to not be to not look bad and not look single for the rest of your life, and you needed to just find someone. Did you desire Keeping to spend the, the rest of your life? Yeah. With the person you actually love, yeah. Or did you desire to, as you said, keep up to your Joneses, or marry into money, or mm. marry into fame, or or what, whatever it is? But they they fail a lot. Um, but the, I but I don't yeah. think it's I don't think it's an excuse not to even try though. Yeah, because you you really think, left with either the jump or not jump. Yeah, and life's life's because you can over you can over evaluate and you look you can just you can stunt and then and you procrastinate. Pause. And, and then you just stunt and don't grow. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, for one person's individual life, yeah, desire has a reasonable level of risk. It's almost like a the odds might be stacked against you. But when you look at humanity as a whole, enough of enough of these people have chased down the desire mm. to be so great that they've actually shifted the course of humanity. And it's not until people sorry, people do that. That's right. Um that humanity progresses forward. There's a yeah, there's a hundred percent. Everything you said, I, I agree with hundred percent. It's it's more. There's a I think there's a certain level of complexity with the decision making. It's not your typical decision making. It's not like oh, does this math equation equal this or that? It's, there's no like right or wrong really. You know what I mean? I think the, the I think you said it at the start. It's more the case of can you live with the what if. Hmm. And if you can, then, well, you just kind of move on, right? Mm. But some people, that just gnaws at them forever and a day and you essentially take it to your grave and, yeah. you know, it's the worst thing ever, right? Um, but it's, I think it's one of, the message I'm trying to convey is more awareness in the complexity of the decision-making. Mm. I think there's probably more like a, a, a lack thereof because I was thinking of Francis' story and I was like, wow, but then I just, as my mind, this is how my mind thinks, I start thinking about all the different stories I've heard um, from from clients, from, you know, co-workers, colleagues, all the way down to other people's stories and you start to evaluate, like, like if, if Francis is at the top of the pyramid, you could almost say, and I, and I don't mean this in, in any ignorant way, but it's, I hope it doesn't come across bad, but like his decision was almost easy and it's not easy. Like, do you know what I'm trying to like? It's easy because of the situation they are in, in Central Africa. There's there's not much opportunity. So it's like, well, it's either this or or nothing else. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and again, it's, it's, uh, excuse my ignorance. I'm like, I'm, just not, I'm not trying to say that it's an easy decision to make. Because no. he's going through, I, I know what you're he's saying. going through life-threatening yeah. stuff. But when it comes to breaking down the complexities of the decision-making, the pros, the cons, all yeah. that, it is way more. When pros. you look at the hand, look when you look at the hand of cards that they're dealt. Yeah, there's there's not a great deal of selection of cards you can play with. So they want to go and take the take the punt and and just move on to the next thing to say. Well, I'm going to take a gamble and do something because my the hand I've been dealt with is not that great. Not that great, anyways. Yeah, so that's it what makes that's- it makes your decision to say. Like, you know, hit me, you know, ask yeah. for another card. It makes it a lot easier. Yes. But not that, the decision, that not that the decision is easy. I want no. to stress and the, that. And the journey you're going to go through might not certainly be easy either. I know what you mean. But the decision is easier. Um, it's more case of, like we said, there's this kind of cultural push of chasing your dream or fulfill your desires, all that stuff. And it's like, it's good. And I see it a lot with a lot of clients that come in with um, the decisions they're making, the decisions that their children are making when they're, uh, you know, when we go, if you go all the way back to episode two, when we talk about, um, you know, whether a tertiary degree is worth it, 
in 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 the grand scheme of things like all the um the jumps and leaps people are making without kind of really truly evaluating all the steps yeah that's essentially where, I, where i'm where i'm kind of getting at it's like it can be a little bit dangerous but i'm not i'm not trying to discourage it no look i, I agree it, it can certainly be dangerous um but what do people do with that awareness of danger well, they're just—they're aware of it. Yeah, but that's does, that's 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 the key of being but aware think, of what it do is. Do you think it would be a good idea for people to continue to become more aware of it? I think so. Yeah. So I disagree with that. Okay. And that's what I like about this podcast because because you know it's it, it can create good discussion. The reason why I would disagree with it mm-hmm. is because I think making decisions to an extent and to a reasonable amount to a reasonably large extent relies on you being naive and i look i I get paid my career is based on risk management Mm -hmm. if i give you a summary of what my role is day to day Mm -hmm. it's managing risk that's what my job is yeah minimizing risk. glorified risk manager yeah um and i and i can tell you that in in this in making decisions when you've got lots of data when you know that there is a clear-cut specific set of standards or regulations or guidelines that you have to follow you can you can find elements within those things to uh i guess support your risk assessment yeah either mitigate things out of your situation Mm -hmm. or mitigate them down so they're lower risk um, you can input controls and things like that to try and mitigate that risk further. Yeah. Or you can just identify what the risk is because you know what you're trying to evaluate it against and then ask yourself, well, am I willing to accept that level of risk and proceed? Or is it too great of a risk for me and I can't? Mm-hmm. The thing about life is you don't actually know a lot of that stuff. Okay. There is no there is no book of rules. There is no standards that we have to live by except our internal moral compass that says what's right or wrong. Mm. But you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know... When, when you've got traditional risk management, you know what the outcome should be, which is why you can determine the risks. You can identify the risks. Yeah. And apart from the normal risks where you say, well, how's this going to impact my family? How's this going to impact my finances? How's this going to impact my my health? Those normal things. But life's one of those things where anything can happen anyway Mm. that is much more out of your control. And it's usually the things that you don't expect that you're not controlling that tend to derail the train anyway. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, what you anticipate is going to go wrong doesn't go wrong. You've actually, the odds are stacked with you in your favor that you're, the worst thing that you're possibly thinking about 90% of the time won't happen. Yeah. And people can go and read the book, Fill the Fear and Do It Anyway by uh, Susan Jeffers. She talks about that concept really well. Yeah. Um, and I think because life has so many unknowns, if you if you start to bring up all the potential dangers around the the desire you have, it will. It will. I, I think it. It's got a very good chance of becoming uh, the source for procrastination, and the source for hesitation, and not making the not making the step forward or taking the decision to even have a go. Yeah. And then that leads ultimately to a lifelong, constant question asking of, well, what if? Yeah. What if I did it anyway? Mm. And then you won't live with regret. I think. I think. 
trying to be too aware of the desires can ultimately lead to not making a decision and, and then regret. Yeah. And to me, that's more painful. Look, it is. And everything that you said is 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 right with with your role and what you do and how you mitigate damage, uh, uh, re- assessing the risk and, and all that kind of stuff. And I guess to to co- combat that to a sense, like in my role, for example, you just kind of just brought something up that, that happened uh, at the start of the week with myself. I had a student with me and it was this classic, you know, clients come in and we and we're doing this whole like i i you know i do the case history i talk to the client and then once we leave the room we just like i kind of pick his brain and go so what, what are we doing like how what are we going to do with this lady right and trying without going too like in depth into like what this lady is but there was a lot of there's a lot of risk older person um a certain level of neuralgia potentially osteoporotic there's a lot of contraindications within her medical history mm-hmm. that are uh, a lot of curveballs are coming in his way that are not going to make his um, treatment plan so straightforward. Yeah. Could he take the risks to, of doing certain maneuvers, certain manipulations, certain stretches to get the best outcome yes. that he desires, that she desires? But are, the, are some of those um, manipulations, uh, immobilizations of joints, could they potentially flare up? Can they make the contraindication worse. Yeah. Could th- this person be essentially worse than what she was before she walked in the door? And when we're kind of going back and forth of what do I do? And I go, how about this? What kind of medication is she on? What is she doing? How about, what about this kind of stretch? Oh, um, I don't want to do that because it's, it might lead to this. But have you thought about this? There's a lot of like, yeah. with, with my line of work, like I can't take the chance because the the effects the repercussions are instant it's like it happens straight away does that make sense it 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 does but i think what you described there was you were you were performing a risk assessment yeah so that you could determine whether or not you can take the chance yeah because again i think you've got a very clear cut there's like a code, code of ethics right about how you're supposed to treat patients how far you're supposed to go what your boundaries are in your certain field versus some other fields and then what boundaries they have in their field and yeah. who can kind of work within the constraints what are you allowed to do um, and I think you're you're constantly evaluating that risk though within those boundaries yeah which would be which would would be similar to my argument before of I work with standards and regulations mm. where well, you've got codes of conduct and practice and you know what the limits and the boundaries are because that's your industry. So I think you're, you're performing a risk assessment to determine whether or not the achieving the, t- like achieving the outcome of the patient is worthwhile. But to me th- that there's, there's an element of you've got, you've probably got desire to want to treat the patient to give them the best outcome. Yeah. But, but along the way, certain, the certain, say, for example, maneuvers yes. may be deemed too risky yes. to get that desire, which then means you've got to explain to the person why they might get up off the table and still kind of feel the same, yes. what they were before. And then you've got to mitigate and explain to them that, you know, this is a longer journey, yada, yada. It's all that stuff that they don't want to hear. Yes. So, in terms of fulfilling the, the, the desire... The happiness of, wow, what a great therapist. I feel much better now. And, oh, this is a great, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. you got to explain to them the reason why it may seem like they've, it, it may feel like as well that they've wasted their time being in the treatment room with you. So, yeah. so do you know what I mean? It's like a lot of, a lot of the times they get up I and they're like. I think you're, I think you're, you're probably 
you're probably one of the, um, and this is not to take away from the industry. I'm just trying to look at it from a from a system point of view. Yeah, you might be one of the cogs in the wheel that can that can improve or change her situation. But this desire actually rests not with you; it's really with them, mm-hmm. with the patient. Yeah, and it's is the desire with the patient willing to take the risk and stay with you and have faith. Or are they willing to take a much riskier thing, go to somebody else that's going to tell them what they want to hear Yeah, that's not as professional, Yeah, then, then take the risk and then it turn out bad for them and then they look back and go, I desired it so much, maybe I should have been more aware, I didn't get the right treatment plan, I should have listened to my based, original practitioner. Based on the fact that they interpret it that way as well. Yeah, but they may not. They but may I don't not. think you have... That's why you have to kind of... You got to really have yeah, downpacked so how so you want to explain things to people. Yeah. Know? So when I say you're one of the cogs in the wheel, I think you're one of the f- one of the potential forces at play that can guide them in a certain way, yeah. in the right way, or lead to guiding them in a certain right way. Um, should they with to have faith in what what you're about to treat them with? Yeah. So I think uh, again, I, I think that's that's risk management. I think it's it's still a little bit different to. Um, Someone making a big leap of faith, mm. or going going up, not even not even something that's so big, just having the desire in general, but being fully blinded by it, mm. by what the risks are. In your case, you're not blinded by the risks, which is why you articulated well how you manage what you do. Yeah. Um, but and that's necessary in your industry. But for someone who, I don't know, a high school student that wants to go off to university. They could say, "Look, I desire to be. I want to be a. You know, they might. They might desire to be a, a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And they go, "Oh, but I really desire it. But what are the risks of that? Well, I, I might study for four years, and I might fail my final exams, and I might not get registered. And then I've spent all this money on fees. And what happens if I don't get it? Oh, okay. Oh, but I might desire to be a psychologist, but it means I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time with my boyfriend, girlfriend." Yeah, because I'm going to be studying a lot, and they're not at uni, so yeah. they're off working. What happens if it breaks my relationship down? Yeah, like they have these desires, but if they constantly ask those questions, you've got an almost certain chance of them turning around and going, "Not doing nothing. It's not worth it. Yeah, why am I going to do it? Yeah, and then they live with regret. Yeah, and I think this goes back to your an interesting point that you made in the last episode was sometimes you like to just sit back and. Be a little bit naive in the world. Ignorance is bliss. And ignorance is bliss. Yeah. For some things, ignorance needs to be bliss mm-hmm. so that you can actually make a decision. Yeah. Now, in the case of Francis or, you know, Tommy climbing, Yosemite. you know, Yosemite. Yeah. They're, they're in a group and a class of their own because mm. what they're going for has a significant upside, but it also comes with a traditional significant level of risk. High upside, high risk. Mm-hmm. Low upside, low risk. It's that it's that fundamental model. Yeah. Um, it's very Russian roulette. It is, and and that's that's it's the gamble. Black or red. That's the gamble. It's that's like the gamble. Yeah. And and it's just I guess the the ones that actually get it eventually took the gamble mm-hmm. and and survived to stick around and tell the story. Story. Yeah. There's many that don't, but again, you're you. Uh, I guess the only question in that case is, am I willing to die trying? That's that's the and bottom that's the line. ultimate question for that's the, ultimate the ones line. that really go great, and in their cases, they probably are. Mm. They yeah. probably are. Hundred percent. So that's that's kind of my uh, 
articulation and thoughts on it. I figured that it would be you'd kind of think that way. It's like, yeah, it just got me thinking. I think it was. I think ultimately it was a really wonderful story. I'm glad it wasn't interpreted. He didn't have an interpreter there or anything like that. And it was you got to really feel the emotion of where he was coming from. And he does a kind of good job of like speaking in third person and like, you know, um, he, he story tells really well. Mm. Funnily enough, for, you know, English being his like second or third language really, you yeah. know, because he's got his native Cameroonian and, and then he speaks French and now English. And, um, uh, you know, for the record, I... I would probably lean always more towards chasing desires and fulfillments, but it did for me pose the question of risk, like huge risk. Yeah. Um, and I always just, it's just how I think it, it probably, probably isn't the best way to think. Maybe I'm not sure, but I always try and feel like what my decisions will feel like how it might be interpreted or how it may impact those who surround me. And then I started thinking about his family, his sister, his brother. Yeah. I was like, Wow. Like, and, yeah, I, I it's, understand. It's just like, you know, it's. There's a lot on the table. And I think a, it speaks to our personalities here on the podcast, even. And listeners are probably picked up on it and might not even be surprised as to the sides of the table we've taken because mm. we've had episodes in the past like visionary versus practicality. Mm-hmm. We are the very practical person. Yeah. I became the vision person. Yeah. Historically. And a practical person is very risk averse. They're very, they assess it because that's how they. Inclined they're inclined to make the decisions that they do because they're constantly assessing and looking at, mm-hmm. well, what are the risks to the desire that I've got here? Whereas a visionary person's like, I just got to focus on the vision. I can't be swamped by the risk. Yeah. Just I got to keep focusing on the vision. But we know after breaking that down in that episode as we did, you have to deploy both depending on what you're doing. Yeah, of course. And depending on what point of and your life you're there's after no and right what or you're actually wrong. going for. There is no right or no, wrong. No, there's no right or wrong. That's, yeah. the, that's the ultimate case. No right or wrong, but... It's just under being, you know, I guess that I guess where we sit in slightly different fences is uh, I'm more inclined to being more aware of risk, whereas you're more inclined to being less aware only because of the potential procrastination. Whereas I'm leaning more towards being aware so that you don't make, I guess, silly risks or yeah. unnecessary risks. That's yeah. all. Yeah. And and I'd go one step further to say I probably choose not to look at the risks. Yeah, I might be aware of them, but I just mm. ignore them. <laughs> that's fair enough and again it's just because you know procrastination is is not something that that I'm fond of I don't yeah. think anyone's fond of it people mm. are very good at it <laughs> um, but I'm but I'm not necessarily I'm consciously not fond of it yeah so yeah alright I think we I think interesting we, topic I'm going to go and listen to that episode I will yeah look or, I uh, encourage people I'll listen if, to it over the next couple uh, of days you know, Joe Rogan's got a, a zillion episodes, but it's one of the more recent ones. It's I think it's titled JRE MMA because I think he went in there thinking it was going to be an MMA-based show, but then he he flipped the script and started yeah. talking about his journey. Um, he normally he would normally title if it's that type of show, he'll normally title it the the it's true the, number. I think it's yeah. up to like episode one thousand six hundred and whatever. Yeah, but because he thought it was going to be an MMA-based show, it's episode ninety nine. Oh, okay. um, Francis Ngannou. So it's all in chronological order yeah, based yeah, on the yeah. date. So, um, how yeah. is Joe? I say it like we know him. How is Joe? He's rich. Uh, <laughs> <Hey>? He's rich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't because I haven't listened to his show for a little while. Just Your mate I, I, was on there today. Sorry. Your mate was on there today. Who, your buddy. It was Ben featured on his show. No, your other mate. <laughs> Good old Musky. <laughs> Elon Musk. He was on there again. Is he featured on the podcast again? Yeah, he was on there. This is the third time now. I think, I think him and Joe are a bit like a bit more like buddy buddies. Like he's been to, he, like because Joe lives in Texas now. 
Like I say, Joe, as if like he's like my man. No, we know, we know Joe. We, we go know way Joe. back. We go way back in the podcast world. <laughs> he because he, he lives in Texas now. Just go with it, dude. He doesn't live in LA anymore. He lives in Texas. I think he was talking about leaving LA. Yeah, he, right? He's gone. He's in Texas now. I think a lot of people are leaving LA. Well, for obvious reasons, but like he's there now. And then like at his shows, like Elon Musk is always at his shows. It's hilarious. So it's almost like they're like new buddies now. Wow. And he's actually it's funny, you know. We 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 had a chat. Well, I think our one of our first episodes we spoke about like Elon Musk's. Um, personality, is man. I think Joe's slowly bringing down like, to earth. No, he's not bringing down. I think he's just he's he's, he's still very like he's very for masked, lack of better terms weird. But he's intrinsic with his person. He's funny in his own way. Yeah, in, in, you know how he talks. You know, yeah. and he does that kind of thing. And it's just like he's he's always he's he's like his own character. Yeah. It's just it's a funny one. So I only listen to snippets of it, but that's my. Uh, I've got to go back and listen to some Joe Rogan. Now that you've one. told me Elon Musk is on the episode, I've got to... Uh, it's the third time. I've got to go back and listen. It was funny. I've been watching... They talk um, aliens and all sorts of crazy things. It's just hilarious. It, it sounds like my cup of tea. I, um, <laughs> I've, I started watching... Because I'm a big fan of the TV series, uh, um, The Big Bang Theory. Yeah. And I'm going back and like watching from early, from like first season, now I'm on second season, just watching all the reruns of Big Bang Theory. Yeah. And I find it hysterical. Like I'm constantly- It's got all the science humor. You love all that stuff. There's no, there's no, for anyone who's a scientist and knows like the different levels of like energy states in like atoms. And then you get to a point where in, you go from like classical mechanics, like quantum mechanics, everything's just like this phased state. Yeah. And you're like this constant phase. That's what my laugh is like through the whole episode. The scientists will understand what I'm talking about. It's like a slow build. It's just, it's, it's just, you just, uh, 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 but finally, subtle I've been, jokes. It's, it's so good. But finally, I've been, I've even gone and started watching Young Sheldon. Yeah, you're saying that off which the is, podcast. Which is Sheldon as a kid. It's like a prequel. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. And in today's one that I watched, Basically, Sheldon comes up with young Sheldon comes up with a way. To, he basically suggests to a NASA scientist that in order to make space space exploration more viable, yeah, i.e., through being more cost effective, why don't we just land the rockets back down on Earth rather than crash them into the ocean? And the NASA was kind of like, "That's not possible." We know Musk does that all the time now. Yeah, no. <laughs> and there's this one scene where, because as it was playing out. The kid basically does all this, like six years old, he does all or nine years old, does all these maths on this whiteboard, presents it to NASA and says, Here is it. And the guy at NASA's like, Well, that's theoretical, you can't build it. Then it fast forward in time and it shows you SpaceX building. And then then Elon Musk is in the episode. Oh wow. And he's sitting down holding young Sheldon's notebook and reading all these notes that argue how you're supposed to land rockets. And then Elon Musk gets notified from a call or a knock on the door. And he quickly puts a notebook in the drawer, <laughs> pretending that he didn't read it. Yeah. I.e., he's the one who read it and has now exp- landed he's, space he's things. He's Mr. SpaceX. And he's had a few cameos in movies. He was in, uh, I'm pretty sure he was in Iron Man once. Oh, really? Where Iron Man's kind of walking through. He's gone down the Hollywood and path. <laughs> he's like kind of just has a scene where he kind of stands up and they shake hands. Yeah. Because Elon Musk is the real life. He's a real life Tony, um, Stark. Tony, pa- Tony, what's Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Yeah, he <laughs> technically is. Um, so he's playing it clever. He's I, like I he's it. like hybrid Tony Star uh, Professor X. Y- yeah, kind of. Kind of. It's just I don't know. It's it's cool. Um, nice. So I thought it was pretty funny. Awesome. Uh, speaking of Elon Musk. All right, man. I think uh, on that note, um, we will wrap this one up. Like always, uh, journey to wherever dot com. Uh, tell us what you think about the show. It was a um, deep one. It was a deep one. It was a deep one. Uh, you know, I've had a few deep ones lately, man. 
Yeah, we have. We've yeah, got okay. a few a few rabbit holes. It's probably maybe there's a time of the year. I a don't few know. deep ones. I cringed after pre- pressing release last week. No. This is a deep, deep episode. Um, but you've had a few good ones. But no, you're right. Journeythroughover.com. If anyone's got feedback, tell a friend. It's important. One friend, at least. Just one, one friend. Just share it once. Just tell just tell one person. Um, you would you would certainly make our day. Yep. All right. On that note, peace out, guys. Take care. Bye. See ya. Bye. Topic, right. man. That was a good one. You like that one? Yeah, it's good. We keep going deeper and deeper. We Take, do. We like dragging these people with us down this hole somewhere. Yeah. And then we'll start talking about farts or something. And they're like, well, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> Let's explore farts. Um. <laughs> you know, there's been quite a few deep ones. Um, but no, I enjoyed it. It was a good topic. I'm going to go back and I'm going to go and actually listen I to you should, Again, listen it's, to it, it, you got to be patient with the story because it's like... Some there are some parts of it you're like okay come on Francis like like he, he kind of like he's got this like build up you're like come on tell me what happened and he just he, he does it in his own way yeah. you got to be patient with how he tells the story yeah um, it's worth the three hours well I've been listening to another podcast because I haven't been listening I should probably listen to Joe Rogan as well but I've been listening to Jordan B Peterson and he had Matthew oh, McConaughey Jordan Peterson he's he's a he's brilliant man he's a wizard man he's I've got to read favorite- like his him um and then there's uh, Dr Rhonda Patrick. I've told you, you about mentioned her before. Her, like yeah, I yeah. have to listen to the episodes like two or three times over. Yeah, because there's so much brain activity flowing through. Then my he, like his my peanut brain is like wait 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 wait. His his way to articulate is oh is, man, his I, brain I is like different level. Fascinating. Yeah, but I've been listening to a podcast episode with him and Matthew McConaughey was on it. Oh, okay. Um. Oh, I see. I haven't. I I know which one you're talking about. Matthew McConaughey was like on a kind of like a Zoomish type. Call, yeah i think so yeah yeah so I, this one. Yeah. I started to listen to that as well but um again like yeah f- fascinating conversation there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of good stuff coming out yeah. at the moment all right all man right. have a good one peace out man Later. yeah bye, bye.